You're listening to Women in Wealth WordPress, a podcast dedicated to the pursuit of female empowerment and financial freedom through the wonderful world of web design. Hello, everyone. Happy Thursday. Coming to you a little bit later this week, but I'm here. I'm doing the things. I have actually recently onboarded three new team members. I'm definitely in a bit of a transition period at the moment. And getting that all to a good place is going to take me time. And I'm definitely going to be a little bit busier as I get that all unlocked. But I'm so excited to see how it all falls out once everyone is onboarded and doing everything to help me out. I'm really excited. So today I wanted to talk to you about the common issues that I see developers making. And I see these in both freelance developers and also agencies. And I really have made some of these mistakes myself. And I have also had clients come to me and say that they want to work with me because they've had these issues with previous developers. They are quite common things. And yeah, hopefully you can take some tips from this and really figure out what to do, what not to do, and avoid some of the key mistakes that I see happening. So the first one I want to talk to you about is trying to do all of the things. And this is something that I definitely did in my first year of business. I'd come from quite a generalist background and I like doing different things. I like having variation in my day. I really like taking on a challenge and achieving it and then, yeah, doing really great work in everything that I do. And I had always seen myself as a jack of all trades and a master of none. And that really became quite evident in my first year because what I found was um, trying to do everything meant that I was not doing anything exceptionally. Yes, I could do the things. Yes, I could do probably a better job than most people would be doing in a lot of those things. But I wasn't really excelling. I wasn't coming into my own. I wasn't becoming an expert in the things that I was doing. So... Yeah, when I started out, I wanted to do social media, email marketing, build websites, do branding, do design work, and kind of all of the things. I would be like, throw it at me and I'll catch it. But what I really found was that I was really reinventing the wheel every time with every project. I was like, okay, where do I go next? What do I do next? And that was really quite hard. And along with that, I was really starting to burn myself out. So that was a really big issue that I faced. On this one, I would say that the way that you can fix that is by partnering with creatives in complementary industries that you trust, that you've seen their work and refer clients on. I, I really truly believe now that clients don't come to you expecting you to do all of the things. And that can actually be almost a red flag when you say, oh, yeah, I can do this for you. I can do this for you as well depending on your ideal client avatar and who you're speaking to. But for a lot of clients, they will come to you and they'll expect you to do the website and then they'll be like, oh, do you have anyone you can recommend for Google Ads? So having a list of key partners can really help on that front and it will really help them as well. And it helps you to build referral partners within the industry that can maybe throw back to you for things as well. I think that's a really valid avenue to go down. Okay, next up, buying client domains. This is something that is rife within this industry and I cannot tell you how bad it is. The amount of times I have seen businesses come to me and they don't know where their domain is. They don't know where it's owned. They don't know how to log into it. I've also had clients come to me where a relationship with a previous developer has fallen down and they've really been wronged by them and they've decided to work with someone else. 
And then along with that, they've actually needed to pay money to get their domain from a previous developer. I've had a client had to pay $2,000 to have that domain released. And unfortunately, there's really not much you can do about this if you don't own your domain. Your domain is a really key business asset and you should never hand over ownership of it. I understand that some clients are technologically challenged and it can be hard for them to do anything in the realm of what we do. But I always make them buy their own domain in their own account. I send them to my recommended provider, which is Namecheap, and I say, this is how you do it. I can screen share with you if you really need me to. I would actually charge them for my time for that because it's not a standard package inclusion, but this is something that you need to own for yourself. I also really recommend that they turn on auto renew. So if that domain expires, they don't lose control of it and someone else purchases it. So that is a really key one. I believe it's so unethical to buy client domains and you may be doing it and coming from a good place, like helping your clients because they don't understand. But along with that, you really need to consider risk management. And I, I know it's really morbid, but what if you die? How is that client going to get that domain? Are you, is your partner going to know how to log into your computer and log in and get all your client domains and transfer them out with an EPP key? That becomes a really big issue for that business in terms of like risk mitigation and business longevity and name management, all of that type of stuff. So it's really up to you to be the leader in the situation and be like, you need to buy it. I can help you if you need, but it's really critical that you own that asset. With websites, I think hosting is a little bit different there because if you have the hosting, they can always migrate their site anywhere else. All that they need is a experienced website developer who can help them migrate that website. It's very easy to download a website, upload it elsewhere. The domain is a different story. You need an EPP key to be able to migrate a domain and you can only get that if you have access to the domain registrar. So that's a really key one. Okay, the next one, and I'm on a little bit of an ethical rant here, but I really believe that not giving clients full access to their site is doing them a disservice. It is their site. They have paid you for it. At the end of the day, you can educate them on what they should and shouldn't change what they need to come back to you to get help with and if they go outside of that then that's on them if they break something or they break a design or whatever it is there's not really much you can do about that at the end of the day it is an asset that is owned by them and you shouldn't be preventing them from having access just because of that risk this is actually one reason that I don't add links to my portfolio to live websites because I give all of my clients access to that website and if they break it they can come back to me and I'll help them for sure but a lot of the time, they may not even know that they've broken something. So it is also on this point really important to educate them on what they can do, what they can change, give them videos on the minor stuff like changing text, changing a photo, all of that type of stuff. And I always say to them, if you need to change a layout or change functionality, come back to me. But I in no way, shape or form stop them from accessing their website because they have paid for that asset. So I think it's really unethical to give a client only a subscriber access or an editor access. They really do need admin access. And I think this comes back to the risk mitigation thing. And it's more of it again. But what if you pass away and they don't have full admin access to that website and they need to migrate hosting or they need to add a new plugin because their business is growing and they need more functionality or whatever it is. If they don't have admin access to that website, they can't pass it on to another developer. It's just, again, really doing them a disservice. And I have seen this time and time again. All right, next up, constant complaining about scope creep and late content. 
Okay. <laughs> I know that this one is very common in our industry and it is such a pain point. But I would like you to take a little bit of responsibility and look at how you can improve your own processes and how this might be on you. So do you need to improve your intake? Do you need to improve the expectations that you set with your clients at onboarding calls and consultation calls? Do you have really clear outline as to what's expected from clients in maybe a welcome pack or a contract? And do you enforce them? So if something, if a project is going off the rails a little bit, do you take the time to bring it back on track and be like, hey, I've got you booked in for a certain date. I need these things for a certain date to be able to do this work. If I don't get it, I won't be able to start. This might bump your project. There might be a late restart fee. And then you actually, it's on you to actually enforce those things and make sure that you hold true to them. Because if content is late, you can't get the website done. That website drags on. It stays in your headspace. It causes stress. The longer a project drags on for, it runs into other projects and it really does affect the work that you can take on. Or if you take on that next project and you start that next project, it can be quite overwhelming in terms of your, your current workload. You do need to be the leader. You're <laughs> the parent in this situation and you can't expect them to know what to do. They may not have built a website before. Or they may have, and it may have been with a terrible developer. So they don't have a good experience of what the process should look like. So really have a look at yourself and see what you can change to really improve that process. The other thing with this one as well is sometimes if I haven't got content from a client, what I'll do is go to their old website and I'll start picking and choosing pieces and pulling it together and present them with something and be like, here it is, we can change it. Sometimes they actually don't even know what they need to give you until they see it. And then having a website with stock images and placeholder text can really give them ideas as to what they need to give you there. There's always ways that you can bring a project back onto track and take some responsibility yourself with how to keep it moving without really pushing the client or really fracturing that relationship. Next one is not taking calls or having meetings. So take this one with a grain of salt because I am all for running your business how you see fit. And as a neurodivergent human, I totally get it. Meetings interrupt my flow. I get really overwhelmed when my calendar is full. I have kids, so meetings aren't always possible. There's all of these things that make meetings and phone calls not really a hugely viable way for me to run my business having a lot of them. However, what I would say is that sometimes you need to make exceptions. I don't make a rule of having a lot of calls and meetings, but sometimes if you haven't heard back from a client, just giving them a call and saying, hey, how are you going? Did you get that email I sent? Is there anything I can help you with? Are there any roadblocks that I can talk you through to really get this going? Or like I mentioned before, if a project is getting off track and you're not getting the feedback that you need to move forward, they're not giving you specific things to change or they're just saying, I don't like the feel of this or whatever it is. Having a call can really help you pick their brain as to what's not working and how to fix it. So they don't need to be long. Meetings can actually be in five minute increments. So you can have a five minute meeting, you can have a 25 minute meeting, you can have a 35 minute meeting, whatever it is, try and make them shorter if that really helps. But just getting on a call sometimes and actually talking it out can really help the communication process, help that client relationship and help a project move forward and really 
turn things around and get them more on a positive footing. I also recently have started presenting my brand packages to clients via Zoom, or I actually recently had one in person. And this was a tip that I got from Beck Hughes. If you haven't listened to that episode, go back. It was very good. But I have actually had really great results from doing that. One project I had ticked off with very minimal changes, just a couple of word changes to the strategy. One brand concept completely approved. And the other one, again, brand concept completely approved. And the woman actually cried in our meeting. And she was like, it's you get me and you understand me. You've put all of my thoughts into this really cohesive strategy that I never would have been able to do. And I can't believe that you've been able to do this so thoroughly and so well. That was like a very minor tweak to me in my process. But having that 30 minute call is actually going to save me so much time in that project because it's going to be less rework, less rounds of changes because they're really brought into the strategy before they've even seen the brand. And then when they've seen the brand, they've been like, yes, done, tip, because they have all of that feeling and thought process behind it. So I actually think that meetings can be super, super helpful in more ways than one. Okay, next up, not filling skills gaps. If you have areas in your workflow and your process that are holding you back or hindering your process, or dragging out your projects or affecting your confidence, they are stopping you from making the money you deserve. So I believe that we should all be constantly upskilling tech changes all of the time, all of the time. Since recording my course last round and running another round at the moment, which was only a few weeks after just recording it, one major piece of tech has changed in the course. So it is just a setting that we need to change and it's totally fine. But if I wasn't aware of that or I wasn't across that or I wasn't having my finger on the pulse within the field that I'm in, I wouldn't have even known to tell my student, okay, you need to make this change or you're going to run into issues. So upskilling, subscribing to industry newsletters, doing courses, watching YouTube tutorials, all of these types of things are really going to help you constantly improve what you're delivering and what you can offer to your clients. Again, as I mentioned, if you have skills gaps, you really need to look at filling those first. So once you do that, it will improve your confidence, which will improve what you can charge, which will improve your income and your revenue. And it has a flow on effect to everything else in your life. When I was a teacher, I actually have a degree in early childhood education, a Bachelor of Teaching. We actually had to do yearly training. There was a requirement that you would do constant upskilling and professional development. And you actually had to do this to keep your license. So we're in an industry that is unregulated, but I believe that it's almost more vital because tech is constantly changing and you need to be on top of it to do a good job for your clients. As I mentioned, there are so many like free ways that you can learn like YouTube and all of these types of things. But I would also say that learning piecemeal can also hold you back and it can stop your stratospheric growth. Learning bits and pieces at a time that aren't a kind of comprehensive process from start to end can really hold you back. So I do really recommend finding people that you trust and investing in them. This could be a coach. This could be a mastermind. I'm actually in a high-level mastermind at the moment. It could be a course. I'm actually doing two courses at the moment. But I believe, I truly believe that you should allocate a portion of your budget to education always. This is something that I will always invest in. I will always have a coach. I will always be part of a mastermind. I will always be part of a networking group. And I will always be doing courses because there is no limit to what you can learn. And as your education grows, as your confidence grows, so too does your revenue. So I really, truly believe that knowledge is power and that is really key to helping your business grow. And the last one, I don't do these in any order at all. And this one kind of comes back to the first one. 
But one thing that I see happening is businesses jumping on new trends or constantly adding new offerings or constantly changing their packages and offering them as a special and all of these things to try and get new clients. So I know that this is a really boring thing to say, but profit comes from rinse and repeat. And this kind of comes back to that first thing I said about becoming an expert in what you do. I know that's boring. Like I said, I have an ADHD brain. I like variation in my life. But making money really does come from processes that you know inside and out. You don't need to reinvent the wheel every time. And luckily for us, building a website is the same process, but every client is different. Every kind of mood board that they give you is different. So within the same industry and within doing the same thing, we really have an opportunity to still have a creative outlet and still have differentiation in every project that we do if we're getting really great clients. So one thing I would really try and say is try and really identify when you have that shiny object syndrome and identify it for what it is and don't follow trends. One thing that I'm going to talk about in particular for this is day rates. So this is something that popped up and some people were like, it's changed my business, it's changed my life, offering day rates. But what I was seeing is that people were offering a day rate and they were saying, I'll build your website in a day and their day rate might be $1,200. Whereas... To actually build that website for a client in their normal package, that might be a $6,000 website, but they were cramming it into a day because I will say this up front, you can build a website in a day. But along with that, it's probably using a template. It's probably not a very strategic build, not really well thought out UX, not really enough time for the client to review it and consider it do some testing, make sure that it's responsive across devices, all of these types of things. So A, you're doing the client a disservice by giving them a substandard product. B, you're doing yourself a disservice because that client may have been ready to work with you and ready to engage you for your normal website project. But then this day project comes up and they're like, oh, maybe I'll just take that and see what I can get done. But it's going to be a product that's not going to really serve them in the long term. And you're probably shooting yourself in the foot in terms of what your potential income could have been for that project. And probably not hugely different in, in terms of the amount of hours of work that you do, but it's spread over time. So it allows you that creative time to think about what you can change, what you can do, really allow things to marinate and come to the surface in a way that's going to give you a really good project. And it allows time for that client to review and all of these things. The other reason I don't love day rates is that it really pigeonholes you into a box. What if that day comes where that client has booked in and they're not getting back to you and you don't have the answers you need and you don't have the things you need to move forward? You've got a stalemate sitting there going, okay, what do I do? Or vice versa, thinking about you yourself, what if that day comes and the creative energy is just not there? You have your period or you had a bad sleep this week because your kid's teething or whatever it is. There's reasons that I prefer doing project work over the space of a few weeks and yeah, really not falling into that trap of everyone else is doing this thing, so maybe I should do it too. Really think about what works for you, what works for your business, what works for your clients and what is going to make you money and what is going to bring you fulfillment and creative joy in the work that you do. Sitting at my computer and building a website for eight hours is not going to bring me joy. It really just come back to your own values and your own strategy around your business and what you want it to look like. As always, I hope you've picked up some tips from this episode. I have been receiving some really nice messages, and I've actually seen people sharing this podcast in a few Facebook groups that I'm in. So if that has been you, I really appreciate it. 
One of my missions is to help more women in business become financially free and build a business that is fulfilling and sustainable and flexible and creative and all of these things that I really enjoy on a day-to-day basis. Every share, every review, it really helps me to get that mission and to reach more people. And that really is a joy. So thank you. And I will see you next week. If you love what I do here, let's connect. I tend to hang out on Instagram and you can find me at Seedling Digital and at Woman Wealth WordPress. You can head to womanwealthwordpress.com forward slash freebie to download my free Embrace Your Dream Life workbook. This guide is over 10 pages of actionable information and worksheets designed to help you build a profitable and fulfilling business in three steps. Get clear on your why, improve your money mindset and hone in on your messaging. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave me a rating and a review. It truly means the world to me and I read every message and kind word. Till next time, aim big. Aim big.